0: Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to Lessons Given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. Well, good morning, church. It has uh, been a blessing to be here uh, so far this, this morning, this first Sunday of, of autumn. Uh, I loved all the, the slides with all the uh, autumnal trees and such on it. Uh, we were singing, I, I don't know if this was on purpose, but we were singing a lot of songs with nature imagery. And so it was nice to have those trees up there. And we were singing about dragons uh, roaring and singing the praise of God. So I, I don't know if any of your minds work like mine, but I was just waiting for a dragon to come through those uh, fall trees. So uh, it, it's been a, a good morning so far. Uh, Bible classes, uh, Keith. Keith taught our, uh, our Bible class this morning and it was just great. And it's, it's good to be here. Uh, I wanna begin uh, by sharing a tidbit with you about my early childhood. Uh, you are, are probably not going to believe this, um, but uh, you're not gonna believe this knowing me now, but when I was very young, uh, I did not speak. Uh, okay, so as my parents tell the story It took three and a half or four years for me to speak with any kind of regularity. And so it took years for me to speak. And then once I started to speak, I had to receive regular speech therapy for for many years for the various uh, speech issues I had. And both my brother and I had a certain speech impediment uh, that made it sound like we were saying a certain curse word. And so... There was a pressure from a young age for me to speak and for me to speak correctly and if my dad was here telling this story which unfortunately is one of his most common stories uh he would have just said kyle couldn't talk until he was four and he hasn't shut up since uh and so so that that is a a true story it does describe my early childhood young kyle might have been literally uh, been able to be described as slow to speak but no one would have described nine-year-old or 21-year-old or 28-year-old Kyle as being slow to speak. And so when I began to study for this week's sermon, I have to confess that I I was not a big fan of, uh, of this first round of pastoral wisdom that James begins to pass on in verse 19. He writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, of course, James is not addressing those like me who were developmentally slow to speak. He is addressing everyone of all ages who hope to be wise and virtuous and righteous people when it comes to their speech. But as we keep reading, James's command about our speeches is not really about whether you're quiet or whether you're talkative, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're concise or verbose but it is about the relationship between our speech and our our anger and he wisely teaches as his brother jesus also taught that the words which proceed out of our mouths are not just words but that they they reveal something about the thoughts and feelings and the motives of our hearts so let's reread verse 19 but but continue through uh verse 21 my dear brothers and sisters take note of this Everyone should be quick to listen, yes, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So James's commands here to be quick to listen and slow to speak in this passage are about our speech, but they're they're really about our speech's relationship to the underlying issue of anger. We must be quick to listen and slow to speak, not just because it's a strategic way to win friends and influence people in our personal conversations, but because our slowness of speech prevents this unrighteous anger from bursting out of us and ruining all of our human relationships. And it's never more important for us to listen first and speak second, than in those moments when we're angry. And yet it is of course in those moments when we're angry, whether we're talkative or quiet by nature, that we are most likely to let that anger get the best of us and just let it rip. It's in those moments where we should probably most be quiet and listen that we're most prone to blurt out, blurt out a criticism or a condemnation or a cold remark that we will, we will later regret. And so the root issue is unrighteous anger in our hearts. I think that's what James really is teaching on here. But once that anger uh, is given voice in speech, uh, the, the implications of the anger, the, the consequences of the anger uh, definitely multiply. So James is opening up this this new section of wisdom, we wrapped up his, his first section last week, and he opens it up by saying, this, this anger, this type of speech is not the type of righteousness that God desires from those who choose to follow our brother and our master Jesus. And then in verse 21, what he's, what he's going to do is he expands the conversation beyond just our unrighteous anger, beyond just our, our speech, and he says, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of all evil. Get rid of all that unrighteousness that can be so prevalent within us. And instead, and this is going to be a big verse for us this morning, so try to internalize it, memorize it. And instead, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So rather than letting anger or these other types of moral filth, rather than letting anger or pride or lust or Uh, envy fester and and grow within you and and eventually spill over into these unrighteous words and actions he's saying let the word of god which is already planted within you let it be nourished let it be cultivated into a, a garden i think is the implied imagery let it be cultivated into a garden of salvation and the fruit of that garden will be righteousness will be wisdom will be righteous living James says, humbly accept the word planted within you. Now, when we talk about the word in scripture, it can, has, it, it can have several different meanings. And so most often today in our context in, uh, in churches of Christ, if you hear someone referred to the word of God, they're most often going to be referring to what? The, the Bible, right? They're, they're referring to written scripture, the written words of God. And that is a legitimate use uh, of the word. While others, when they, are referring to the Word of God, they may be meaning the, the Jesus, the Word of God, as, as John one tells about, which is a a slightly different meaning than than written Scripture. But then the Word or the Word of the Lord can have a, a third use, and this may actually be the most common use within Scripture itself, and it dates back to the Old Testament, and it means something like uh, the Word, meaning the message or or you know the heart of the gospel. Uh, the an, an, Old, uh, an Old Testament prophet could come along and, and say, hear the word of the Lord before delivering a prophetic message from the Lord. And those words he's going to say are, are the word of the Lord. He's proclaiming a message. He's, he's bringing the people a word from God. And oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, when, when we see this this word, the word, that's kind of what we're talking, talking about. And so in our passage, James just says, humbly accept the word planted in you. And I, I think I have my opinion, but I, I don't think it's immediately clear which of those meanings he, he might have in mind. And I'm wondering if he couldn't potentially be meaning multiple, multiple of those those meanings at, at the same time. So I, I think there's a sense in, a sense in which this could be an interesting morning, given my speech today, but I've already clarified uh, why I am the way I am with you. So um, the Word is is indeed planted within us as we hear and as we study Scripture, as we are right now in the book of James, the the Word is planted within us. I think the Word is also planted within us in, in the sense that Jesus Christ, the Word, is at work within us through his spirit, that Jesus is, is in us in a real sense. And, and finally, I think the word is planted within us as, as we receive a word from the Lord, as we receive and as we live out a message, a word from God. Whatever James is, is meaning here, and I'm not sure we can know exactly, he's contrasting a, a Jesus follower lifestyle where the word is, is a righteous garden within us, producing all of these types of, of good and, and healthy fruit. He's contrasting that with a type of garden that produces anger and all of these other, other forms of filth, which is a strong word. And then James has established this, this idea here in verse 21, humbly accept the word planted within you. Let's keep that in mind. But then he's going to proceed into the next section of this passage, verses 22 to 25, and he's going to add in some, some other reflections about the word. And, and this part of the passage is probably what's uh, actually more familiar to you. So let's, let's read this again. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, which if you were in Keith's Bible class this morning, that verse should ring a bell. That's a freebie for you. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James has already established there is a word. There is a a, a word from God, the word from God that has already been planted within us, but he's going to develop that further. And he's going to say, don't just listen to the word, whatever meaning he, he has in mind. Don't just listen to the word, actually do what the word says. Don't just listen to the words of written scripture. If we follow that interpretation, don't just listen to the word Jesus Christ. Don't just listen to the word that is the message of the gospel. Do what the word says. Allow that word, which is already implanted in you, to do its work in and through you. And then he provides uh, another image or a, a metaphor here that I, I think he's, he's trying to re- he's, trying, he's providing it to reinforce his point, but I don't think it lands uh, honestly, quite as well as some of the other metaphors in scripture do. It doesn't land with us quite as much in the 21st century. Uh, we are so used to seeing ourselves in a mirror dozens and dozens of times a day, depending on how frequently you use the restroom. Uh, and and we're so used to seeing ourselves on our phones and in pictures that we really can't imagine a scenario in which we would forget what, what we look like. But I I think in that time and day when uh, mirrors were very rare uh, and and an infrequent thing, it's possible to to wrap your mind around what he's telling these people. He's saying uh, there is a, a way that you can look in a mirror if you don't see yourself very often, see yourself briefly, and then go away and completely forget what you look like. And this is his basic illustration. The person who does that, who looks in the mirror, goes away, immediately forgets what they look like. They are akin to a person who, who might hear and listen to the word of God. They, they look in the mirror, but then they go and, and they forget it immediately. They forget what they look like. They forget who they are. James is asking, what good is it to look in a mirror if you're going to forget what you even look like? What good is it to hear the word if you're not even going to put it into practice? What, what are we doing this morning if all we're doing is sitting here and listening to the words of scripture or a word from the Lord, if we're going to walk out and it makes absolutely no difference in our lives. Now, you may think, and many have, that James sounds a little bit legalistic here, that, that James is, is putting a little bit too much emphasis on, on the work uh, end of, of the grace works spectrum. In fact, this is, this is one of the couple of passages in the book of James that made the, the great reformer Martin Luther believe that James did not belong within the New Testament canon. Now, I like, I like Martin Luther. I think he, he had a lot of good ideas. I don't know why he gets to decide in the 1600s or 1500s what doesn't belong in Scripture, um, but he felt pretty passionately that the book of James did not belong within the New Testament canon. Uh, he said this was a straw epistle because there was nothing of substance here, it was all straw. And he said that the book of James failed to express the true nature of the Christian gospel. So if you ever think I'm opinionated, just remember that I'm really not. Uh, so, so those were his thoughts on the book of James. Now, uh, I, have, I have thoughts on his thoughts, and, and I'm sure you do. I, I think his, his opinion is problematic for a few reasons. But but the main reason I, I want to highlight this morning that it's problematic is that I don't think anything James is saying here is really unique to James. In fact, I think James is basically saying what he heard his half-brother Jesus say on many different occasions. And in particular, he's riffing on a, a, a metaphor of Jesus that Jesus uses To conclude what many say is the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus provides a whole bunch of different challenges to the people of God, just like James is in this letter. He's describing a whole lot of different areas of their lives in which they need to follow and and do the word, Uh, challenges concerning their anger, challenges concerning their speech, their sexuality, how to treat enemies, how to handle their possessions, All of that should sound familiar in the context of James, because I'm telling you that he's partially just copying his his brother, Jesus. He's riffing on his brother, Jesus. Jesus and James are describing the type of righteousness that needs to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And in that sermon, it's concluded in a a, a way that I think is relevant to us this morning. It's concluded with a a VBS song. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 to 27. See if this sounds sounds like James 1 to you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. I feel like we could stop right there. Am I am I not wrong? Well, yes. So Leland, we could also just sing the song right now. That that's actually not what I meant, although I'm I'm up, I'm up for it. Um, I meant that right there he just summarized James chapter one in about 10 words. And and yeah, there's a song here. So therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, so don't just hear the word, don't, don't just listen to the word, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And I think verse 26 is equally important for the purpose of James But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, who hears the word but doesn't do the word, as James would say, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams went up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and the house went splat. That's our our, uh, paraphrase. So again, they're they're using different metaphors. I I think we actually can relate given our, you know, hurricane seasons and such. We can actually relate a lot more to Jesus's metaphor here in Matthew 7 than we can to James. But I think their metaphor of the storms beating down the house or looking in the mirror and forgetting your identity. I think their their meaning is, is the same. The wise person is the one who looks in a mirror and is able to remember who they are the rest of the day. The wise person is the one who builds his house upon a rock so that his house can withstand those inevitable rains and storms and winds. The wise person, they're both saying, is the one who listens to the word, who hears these words of Jesus and puts them into practice. And sadly, there is an inverse reality to such wisdom, and uh, James and Jesus don't just dabble in wisdom literature; they they uh, they dabble in foolishness literature. They very often are going to say, "This is what wisdom looks like, and this is what foolishness looks like." And they do that here. The foolish person is the one who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what they look like. The foolish person is the one who builds his house upon sand, so that when the inevitable rains and winds and storms come, the house goes splat. The foolish person is the one who merely listens to the word. Notice they're still hearing the word. They're still listening to the word. They're not unchurched folk. They're listening and hearing to the word, but they choose to not put it into practice. And again, these challenging teachings are not from me this morning. They're not from Martin Luther. They're not from some other commentator. I I really think they are directly from the mouths of Jesus and his brother James. And what I get from all that is that in the minds of these first century New Testament folks, true righteousness and true Christian wisdom isn't this false dichotomy between hearing the word and, and doing the word. It's not an either or choice. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a both and lifestyle. We hear the word and, and because we truly believe it and we, and we believe that it should mean something to us, we listen to it, we allow it to be implanted within us and then it bears fruit. We do the word. We put into practice all of these teachings we've already looked at about facing trials and temptations, or how to handle our finances, or in this text, our speech, how to deal with our anger. All of those actions, all of this practical wisdom is natural fruit that that grows when the word of God is implanted within us, and so it's not even really about us doing this work, and I hesitate to say that because there is a sense again it's a paradox we are doing the work but the work is getting done because the word is planted within us and if that word is truly planted within us and it's watered and it's cultivated and it's nourished this work is a natural outgrowth of that process and because that word is implanted within us we're put in a position by grace to do this work and it's it's that emphasis from James in this chapter that really makes me appreciate how he concludes in verses 26 to 27. I hear James asking, can our can our religion, can our righteousness get any more simple than this? This is what God is looking for when he's looking for the fruit of that word planted within you, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So he's bringing up that topic again from earlier, but then look at verse 27. Religion that God our Father does accept as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so when we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, I really don't think you can read the Sermon on the Mount and think Jesus believes righteousness is a bad thing. He's he's using the word righteous a lot more in that sermon. He's not saying righteousness is bad. He's not saying he doesn't want the people to grow in these different areas that he's addressing. He's just saying that their righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. It has to go to a a deeper meaning of the law. It has to get to to the root of these areas of life. And here in James, I don't think James thinks religion is is a bad thing. Thing, like a lot of people do today he just warns that there are, are certain things like losing control of our unruly tongues that can functionally speaking make our religion worthless but that there are other things that make our religion worthwhile and, and even make our religion pure and faultless in the sight of God and I love that it's as simple as looking after orphans and widows and remaining unpolluted by the world you probably understand that james again is just echoing the call of jesus jesus spends a lot of time saying care for the least of these he, he gives his own illustrations of who the least of these are those in jail those who are hungry those who are thirsty if you do this for the for these folks you're doing it for me he has that basic teaching james is just making it a little bit more specific here he says your religion is pure and faultless to the extent you care for the least of these, to the extent that you care. And then he gives a practical illustration for the orphans and widows in your midst. Uh, orphans and widows are about as least of these in that society as it could get. And I would say even today, they're about as consistently least of these as, as we see. And so I just love that James, James challenges us just like his, his brother Jesus did to not get too carried away with doing the work of God and getting, oh, how do we do this? How does it all work out? He says, let the word of God be implanted within you. Humbly receive the word of God within you. And if that word is received, if that word is being nourished and cultivated and it's growing, then all of these other areas of wisdom and righteousness and and Christian living, all of that's gonna proceed naturally out of that, that word within us. Your speech, yes. Caring for the least of these, yes. Facing trials and temptations early in the chapter, yes. Handling your money, yes. So, everything we're going to see uh, in the book of James as he he gets more and more practical, I think a lot of it does come back here to chapter one, verse 21. Humbly receive the word planted within you, there for your salvation. So, when I was uh, thinking about verse 27 a little bit, um, about looking after orphans and widows, I was I was thinking about the way that in my life I've been given so many positive examples uh, of that. And, and I want to mention a few. Uh, you have heard us talk about recently for our long timers, uh, you're super familiar with this. Uh, but Lafayette supports an organization called Christian Family Services, CFS. We have a couple uh board members here this morning. This is a area nonprofit that many of the, the churches of Christ support. And their mission has has grown and, and uh, developed over time. Right now, they're also doing a lot of counseling and and such. But at the heart of it has always remained uh, caring for orphans, working with adoption, working with fostering, and and that's just one way. Uh, it's a it's a common way that Christians have come together to tr- to try to uh, to try to live up to this mission of James chapter one verse twenty seven. I also think it's relevant that before we got into the book of James. Um, we, we had folks come up here and tell us about this widowhood ministry that Sarah, it was a kind of a brain product of Sarah Buer, as a lot of things that happen at Lafayette are. Uh, Sarah Buer, who has this idea because of a need that, that she saw, and she's bringing people along with her now, and a lot of people, Jack and Diane and others are coming along with her and, and saying, what, what does it look like for Lafayette to care for the widows and the widowers and, uh, and others who are the least of these but the, the widows and the widowers in our midst? What would, what would it take for us to love them well? And I love that it is some of our widows and widowers who are attentive to that mission, who have been on the other end of that uh, at various ages and who know what that process is like, who know what that grieving process is like in that sense of loneliness, and that sense of how do I, how do, I do this? How do I do that? And so I, it, it's just been a blessing. A couple of weeks before I knew we would get to James chapter 1 27, to see some of that coming together. We also have some of those same people and others who have not been widows or widowers, but in their own ways have, have taken on efforts to, to love people in such a way through adoption, through fostering, through other ways that God's people have, have lived out this call in James chapter 1. So again, it, it's one of those things where you go, are, are Christians really living out their call? And, and I'm just trying to name the ways that Christians are living out their call, that we have these, these very positive examples in front of us, uh, us very regularly. And then the last one I wanted to mention, I was only gonna mention if the person was not here. So I'm gonna go for it. Um, many of you know, a few weeks ago, I had a cousin uh, who, her she became a widow at, at my age. She's age 28. And her husband, uh, he's a police officer. And he died uh, suddenly from an aortic dissection, which is actually what, what took Mark Beaver's life uh, not, not too long ago. And so she's age uh, 28, now a widow, and she has a six-year-old uh, daughter and a two-month, now I guess a, a three-month-old uh, uh, son. And uh, many of you were very sweet in the way you reached out and, and such. But I had, uh, sorry, I actually thought I'd be all right with this, but okay, here we go. So I had one person that reached out and uh, you'll, you're going to know who this person is, but I'll let them remain nameless technically. So he reached out again, the, the, the young man, my, my cousin's husband that died as a police officer. And uh, this friend of mine called a member of Lafayette and said, hey, as, as a fellow police officer, as a fellow police officer, I'm doing this too much, guys, I'm sorry. As a fellow police officer. I would love to help pay medical bills, um, funeral bills, and and help you out in that way if if your family has that need. But more than being a fellow officer, as a follower of Jesus, this is a widow, a young widow, and these are partial orphans. And I would love to do anything I could do uh, to help. And again, as as we think about the word implanted within us, that kind of Christian fruit doesn't happen overnight. That's someone who's had the word implanted within them. And that word has been cultivated. That word has been nourished. It's been given time and attention and energy for it to grow so that when something like that comes up, a friend's cousin's husband dies, the natural instinct, the natural impulse is, I wonder if I can do something there. Yeah, a fellow police officer, sure. But as a young widow, as someone, who's gonna ha- have to raise partial orphans, not, not true orphans, but partial orphans, two young, young children that will not grow up without a dad. And the natural instinct was to reach out and do that. That's someone who's had the word implanted within them. And that fruit has been given the time and the energy to grow and to grow and to grow. And so I look out at a room of people, not just caring for widows and orphans, but in all these different areas, and I say, the spirit of God is at work within us. And we may not recognize it all the time because sometimes we still, our speech still gets the best of us and we say an angry word or we're selfish with our money or we face a temptation and we give into it. There's plenty of examples where we still have a hard time living out these teachings of Jesus. And yet James, in the spirit of our, our Lord and our master and our brother, Jesus, says, receive the word humbly planted within you. And don't just listen to it. Don't spend 30 minutes a week listening to to a guy cry. Um, Hear those words and put them into practice because that's what true wisdom looks like. That's what true righteousness looks like. Hear the word. Don't go away and forget what you look like. Hear the word. Go out from this place and put your life in service to our Lord and our master, Jesus Christ, which is exactly what James did. And that's exactly what he was trying to get these churches he was writing to do. And I think that's exactly what he's trying to get us to do today. And so I want us to study this book in a spirit of encouragement. I don't want us to beat up on ourselves and say, oh, I, you know, I said a harsh word this week or I gave in to one temptation. I want us to view this as a lifelong effort in, in growing fruit for God out of, out of the recognition that his word is within us and it continues to work. Uh, work on us and work through us. And so sometimes that'll be this great story where a friend calls and he says, I want to care for these orphans and widows. But sometimes it'll be the, the, the little ways those of you in this congregation love one another, love our widows, love our widowers, love others that are going through hard times. And in those moments, we're seeing the fruit of the spirit at work in the life of the church. And I think James would be really happy to see that. Uh, Dan and Donna are going to be back in the prayer room. Let's stand and see.